0: Back at it again with another episode of the Court in the Field podcast. Joined here today with my right-hand man,
1: Sean Flannery. What's good, Sean? What's up, CJ? Um, as always, down here in Cincinnati, I actually just had a trip home uh, to experience a year later graduation. Um, I saw you were out up in, at school doing the same thing, but I think that was for your, your graduate school. I'll let you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for it's also a shout out to
0: you for, uh, for obviously getting the experience of yours. Uh, COVID messed up our undergrad experiences. But yeah, I was fortunate enough to get an in person uh, ceremony for my master's. So worked very hard for that. And uh, we'll see where that takes me from there. League bound. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to put my name back in the draft and we're going to see, uh, <laughs> see if, we're gonna, if I got any
1: takers for real. <laughs> Uh, we're all washed up anyway. So what we want what do we want to talk about NBA basketball? Um, right now I'm, I'm at least sitting down watching the Dicks Hawks game right now. And I'm sure a lot of people will be, you know, doing the same thing as this is kind of like an NCAA tournament feel for me. You know, you have, unfortunately the games are like at 1030 at night. So like, I, like, I mean, I'm forced to stay up and then hate myself in the morning, but you know, all these games are on amazing basketball um and it's every day you know I, it's, it's awesome yeah i love nba basketball and i know uh a lot of people
0: don't feel the same way but i feel like they're just missing out man they, they're missing out because uh, we've had this debate 10 times over about the differences between college and nba i'm like bro i love seeing the best of the best compete especially at this level this late in the year because people are like oh they don't play that hard
1: blase blase well playoff basketball is different so and we got some fans finally so the intensity level is great, but we'll, we'll kick it off um, here. And obviously, the first team we have to talk about is the Lakers. Um, Lakers, Suns. Obviously, Lakers going down 1-0 initially um, to the Suns. Didn't look good at all. Actually, looked horrible. I should say they looked like they didn't. They belonged in that seven seed. Um, and the Suns honestly looked like a team that would be Western Conference Finals at least. You know, bound there. Uh, Chris Paul injury obviously affecting them. Luckily enough, CJ and I were smart enough to wait an extra day for the podcast, so we got to watch Game Two, uh, reassess, get our notepad out, and everything. Um, LeBron still doesn't look like you know LeBron of you know 2016 through now, um, but yeah I don't you know I was talking with CJ off there, and uh, he doesn't necessarily have to be. This team is is so good, you know, defensively especially, and Anthony Davis is, is tier one star in the NBA. And there's only probably, you know, five tier one stars in the NBA, maybe six or whatever, but, you know, he's that level good. Um, And they just, they surrounded LeBron with great players. And as long as LeBron, you know, LeBron's still going to be LeBron. He's going to get his 20. He's going to have great passes. He's going to be the floor general out there. Um, But the Suns, you know, without Chris Paul, uh, they're still a good team. Cameron Payne looked like, you know, Chris Paul's shadow just 20 years ago or whatever it was. And he had a phenomenal game, too, and that still wasn't enough. So, you know, going forward, if they don't have a healthy CP, um, it's going to be real tough for them.
0: Yeah, I agree. Without a healthy CP, this thing's over in five. And I, like we've talked about on the pod before and off air, we really like the Suns and CP this year. It's just unfortunate that the injury bug creeps up on him. But moving over to the down the hall to the Clippers. Boy, do I got a lot to say about them boys. I mean, obviously, last year, for those who watched us from day one, we picked them to, to win it all last year. Obviously, that didn't go too far because they got uh embarrassed in the second round by the, the Nuggets. But I didn't have much hopes for them this year, but I'm completely off that bandwagon and it's starting to turn into like some type, some sort of hate for them just based off like how they carry themselves and how it and and how the what the play reflects on the court is just two separate things. They act so tough, they act so like uh, like macho managed, but then when they out there, I don't see it. I mean, they got to do Luca, twenty-two years old, walking up in your crib, your building, and talking nasty to everybody. It don't matter. Pat Bev, Marcus Morris, he going right at Kawhi and PG. It don't matter. He yelling at babies. It don't matter. It don't it, it don't matter. And he doing whatever it takes. You, taking you up the dribble step backs going to the lane you know posting up it don't matter he giving to you however you want it and I'm not seeing nobody in that other in in that Clippers uniform that's willing to step up and be like "Yo, enough's enough and I get it he's one of the best I don't know six seven players in the world those guys are hard to stop but enough's enough and if y'all think that y'all really are built like that you got to put a foot down and and not allow that any further so I I think that's hilarious in his own right I hope this series gets over quick so I'm tired, so people can get off that Clippers bandwagon so more people can join me and flan and, uh, and, uh, and our angst for the, for the Clippers. The Clippers knocked off the Mavs last year, right? In the bubble. Yeah, but here's the funny thing about that. KP got hurt, I want to say game three or four. Early, yeah. But what cracks me up about this whole like Clippers team. So obviously for those who've been watching the NBA, they avoided the Lakers on purpose. Like they lost their last two games on purpose. They lost to the Thunder. And if y'all been watching the Thunder the past two months, the Thunders have won one game since February, I think it's some wild shit like that. And the Clippers found a way to lose to them. So they avoided them to go play a team that they struggled with last year. And he's a year better. The Mavs are better. They KP's healthy this time around. And y'all thought it was going to be sweet? Like, no, nah, like the Mavs definitely took that personally and this is what you get.
1: I love watching it too because it's like, you know, I think a lot of, People will talk about like revenge games or revenge seasons, whatever. But like, this is that. Like the bubble was the asterisk season, but like that was still a season. You know, the, the the Mavs went out not the way they wanted to, and you know they're coming back with some fans, with some intensity in the building, and now they get to go home up two zero against the Clippers team that just doesn't seem like they could stop Luca with anything, and they have. Probably two of the better defenders on, you know, to everyone's natural eye, in Kawhi and Paul George. So it's weird. It's honestly, it just you have to appreciate Luca for for what he's doing and the amount of attention he draws in these games. And it's only going to be even more amplified, you know, especially with, with you know, moving forward. But um, well, we got Sixers Wizards next. I'm going to go with the show. All right, so Sixers. I actually. I can't say it now. I'm actually, I'm going to wait, but uh, you know, I gave it away anyway. Sixers, they're coming out of the East. Um, like everyone predicted, right? The Sixers are going to be over the nets. Um, Sixers, Wizards, not much to say. I don't think this series is going to go very long um, unless I, you know, I really like Bradley Beal, uh, Russell Westbrook's a NBA player. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, I really like the 76ers. They've added a ton of shooters from last year Um Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid will be MVP candidates and are our MVP candidates and will be for years to come. And, you know, I think this is kind of the – with Doc Rivers on their, you know, head in the staff and then surrounding those guys with shooters, um, it's the beginning of, I think, uh, of a dynasty that will be here for five-plus years.
0: Yeah, like, I really like uh, that pairing, Ben. And uh, I like that team. I really like them a lot. I just – I don't know what I'm going to get out of Ben. And as soon as I said that, I looked down and Oh, Ben has 18 in the first half. So if I can get that Ben every game. Yeah. I think they can come out.
1: And I do want to say lastly, is like, I just think the, the amount of length and athleticism they have in their, you know, their final lineup, they'll probably be running. um, That's the one team that I think can match up with the Nets and give them fits if there was any team. And hopefully I'm wrong because I do want the Nets coming out to face the Lakers. But, uh, you know, I, as of now, Sixers out of the East. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, going
0: from uh, Philly down, Philly over to New York, where you got the Knicks and the Hawks. Uh, I think this is a series that I feel like a lot of NBA fans are very intrigued about. I mean, you got a lot of, you got two young teams with two young stars and Randall and Trey Young, who are, who have vastly different games. You know, the, the Knicks, as we talked about off air a lot, they want to make it ugly. You know, they try to make it real ugly. They're good on defensive end of the floor and they're scrappy. And they just find a way like they're really enjoyable to watch because they're kind of a throwback team. They're different from, um, you know, the space and play type of deal where, you know, just driving kick, you know, not much defense, not much resistance. No, like they're really, like they're really about it. And I enjoy watching them play. And it's a contrast to even how the Hawks play, you know, Trey Young is a very finesse guy. Um, he distributes the ball very well. And then he has a bunch of shooters around him with bogey, um, Gallinari. Uh, Hunter just uh, John Collins you know just a bunch of guys around him who compliment him very well uh, I thought game one was fun and I think for someone our age we're really start to appreciate the garden a little bit because the Knicks have been ass our entire life like our entire outside of Melo for those two years they've been ass our entire life so it's kind of cool to see the uh, MSG rocking the way it is and I, I hope this is a long series just for the simple fact that uh, Madison Square Garden is pretty cool to see on TV
1: Absolutely. and I was just going to reiterate the, like your last point there is, you know, kind of watching that first game and, you know, seeing the fans at Madison Square Garden get into it, you know, for a team that really should not be here, you know, on paper, they do, they're not that good, but just kind of, you know, this is a typical seven, six, seven seed or whatever that, you know, wins a few games probably gets knocked off and, you know, we don't really hear anything about them, but being the New York Knicks, being a team in New York uh, playing in the garden you know, everyone wants to talk about them. And, you know, people say it all the time. Maybe they'll get a, a star in free agency. But, you know, if there was a time now, it would definitely be it after they've proven, you know, to the whole league that, you know, they're for real. Um, so, yeah, and next, nets, and we got the and next, we got the Nets Celtics. Another quick one here is, you know, the Nets are overpowering the Celtics. The Celtics, a weird year, um, you know, very underachieving. Uh, Without Jalen Brown now, uh, basically the only way they win this series is if, you know, the basketball gods absolutely just tear into the Nets organization. And And everyone gets COVID on the Nets, literally. Everyone gets COVID or something, just something where they can't play. Um, Literally the only way that that, that they could even get one game, I think it's going to be four, um, four blowouts probably, and this will be over soon. And. Like I said before, I have the Sixers coming out of the East. But, you know, the Nets against the Bucks, the Nets against the Sixers, those are going to be great series to watch. So, you know, I'm looking forward to those down the line.
0: Yeah, I am as well. And I think this is an interesting topic, talking about the Celtics. I mean, the Nets, we, we can talk about that ad nauseum. We'll have a bunch of episodes we get to talk about the Nets. But I'm interested about the Celtics because I asked you this question. How many players on the Celtics do you think will play on any other, like, contending team? And we, talk, we brought the Lakers, for example. Tatum for sure uh, I think Kimba can even if you don't think he's a starting guard even though I still think he has some some talent still there he can be your six man whatever um Marcus Smart obviously brings a lot of versatility you can say TT and maybe Fournier but outside of that if you play playing spades they got three and a possible four like that's that's a rough roster and it's like without Jalen Brown obviously who hurts that missing him hurts a lot but like damn that's this is a weird Celtics year that's something I cannot expect coming into the year
1: it makes you think too like as being in a Celtics general manager Danny Angel's shoes do you kind of evaluate this as we need one more piece or you know we have an aging Kemba we have an aging Tristan uh we have to pay Jalen we have to pay Jason um and we don't really have any younger guys that we really see you know they're interchangeable. You know, a lot of the younger guys are interchangeable for even veterans. So it's a really interesting scenario for the Celtics. They don't really have those picks anymore like they had the past six years. Um, you know, they always seem to be, you know, in the playoff contention, you know, Eastern Conference final contention, whatever it may be. But, you know, for me, it seems like this is an interesting offseason, at least an interesting year or two going forward for the Celtics. And I wouldn't be surprised if they blew it up, but knowing the Celtics, you know, they're going to try you know, any way possible to squeeze out, you know, another player or two, even if they're old. If the last seven, eight years have taught
0: us anything about the Celtics is that they are the biggest pump figures in all time. And then like two weeks after a deal went through with someone else, they'd be like, oh yeah, we were close. We were close (laughs) to Anthony Davis. We were close to Paul George. We were close. Like, shut up. But it is what it is. Uh, So talking about another team in green out there in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, So far, they got a a commanding 2-0 lead over the Miami Heat. this is a team that I don't know what to make of just for the simple fact based off the past two years of the playoffs. But I think there's something different about them this time of year, this year that has me a little on edge about what they can maybe present to the, uh, to the Nets next series. I think the duality acquisition was major for them. I think it's huge and it, and it's not necessarily because I think he's like a great player. Cause he is, he's a really good player, all defensive team. He should be every single year that he's in the NBA. Um, solid uh, offensive player as well, but it's who they lost. I think that makes a bigger difference. They had Eric Bledsoe out there who wasn't really a, a, like a stretch the floor type of guy. You can build that wall against Giannis because I mean, Bledsoe's not really a threat from the perimeter. Ilya Solva really wasn't that much of a threat. And then you replace him with Bobby Portis. I don't know what the hell Brent Forbes has been eating, but I mean, that was a hell of a performance he put on in the first quarter the other day. So I think it still comes down to Giannis at the end of the day. Can't make his free throws um can he i don't know get something resembling of a mid-range consistent go-to move which i mean i don't really see happening but man i think they get rid of the heat and five just because i i thought the best thing that the bucks did was just put Giannis on jimmy b and just literally say i dare y'all to i dare you to go beat him 48 minutes like y'all did last year uh but they're interesting i'll just say that i cannot wait for that next series against the nets
1: it is. No, I think the Bucks look a lot better so far this year. The Heat don't look that impressive either. But there was a – I had ESPN on in the background today, and you know, I kind of peeked up and saw that they were doing – ranking current playoff teams, you know, your top five players, you would have taking the last shot, you know, the game winner. Giannis was not – never mentioned. I think it went like KD, LeBron, no, it – it was the five, I don't know, it was, it was five guys. None of them included Giannis. I think Dame was number one. So it just makes you think because, you know, in the playoffs, you're going to have a situation where you need your go-to guy to step up and last two minutes, last 30 seconds, you need to make a shot. Right now, that person on the Bucks is Chris Middleton. It it might be Drew Holiday if, if it needs to be. It's not Giannis, unfortunately. And and that's just the way he plays, and that's just how it is. Um, so for me, it's hard to completely buy into the Bucks right now. Uh, but you know, crazier things have happened, and Giannis is such a unique talent, and they do look a lot better. That defensively, maybe they can you know provide some type of strength and you know make it out of the East, or at least give some competition.
0: Well, you know how I feel about Coach Bud and how <laughs> their, their screen coverages are. I have zero faith that they won't. That they'll be able to stop the Nets off. Like they'll be having Brooke Lopez playing drop coverage against James Harden and Joe Harris and just let them get 50. But I'm so I ain't got much faith when it comes to defensive end, when it comes to the schemes portion. But you make a hell of a point. Most teams, your best player you can rely on to take that shot. And I think Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are really good players. But in the playoffs, I need my upper echelon. I need those top 10, 12 players in the league to do that for me.
1: Absolutely. No, it's an it's an interesting question. I think. You know, I'll have to off the air at least get your top five playoff guys. But moving on, we'll go to Blazers Nuggets, last one I got here. And this is an interesting series that, you know, honestly, I think I'm going to take the Nuggets just, I know I said the Trail Blazers last podcast that, you know, they're my surprise team that could possibly make a run. But, you know, CJ McCullum isn't looking great. He isn't looking like the CJ or that, that two piece to Dame that you know, that needs to be there for, for them to be successful in the postseason. And the Nuggets are they're, – they're actually such like a really, a really dangerous team. Um, they Their backcourt is kind of weak right now uh, with Jamal Murray going down. Uh, but they have the MVP. They have great length. They play phenomenally well together. And, you know, there's a tough team to go up against and they're very smart and well coached. But, you know, the Trailblazers, Dane put up a 40-piece the other night, and they still lost um going home it's tied one one right now I wouldn't be surprised if they split again on the road and this goes six or seven um but in the end you know I think the Nuggets are a team that if they had Jamal Murray that would definitely be in contention for making it out of the west but as of now you know they have to get out of that one that first round and I think they will. Bro the Blazers can't stop a cold like right, it's bad. <laughs> they have once they take out Nurkic 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 and his canter and whoever they else they have in the inside. And Carmelo, like I mean, Carmelo's a great guy. He is, you know, he is ten thousand point club or whatever t-shirts they gave him, but he's not playing deep. He's he's in there to make some shots and well wear Carmelo Anthony on his jersey.
0: Bro, like someone on ESPN said this and it was mad disrespectful to say this about other NBA players, but it's kind of true. You take away Nurk, and even Nurk can't hold Jokic because Jokic is just that yeah. great player. You take away Nurk, who on that team on that team for the Blazers? Can you say, "Yo, I trust him to do anything on the defensive end of the floor"? There is outside, not- of, and I don't even trust Covington. I'm not gonna lie because I think Covington's a help defender because i put Covington on the island. I didn't see him, then no. he been working a lot when he be going getting on the damn island. So it's like
1: that's they have dudes like Derrick Jones. They have athletes like they have the athletes. They have like oh, I want my six seven wing. But, like, you're not – you're not – like, Derek Jones, you're made of paper, brother. Like, you, you ain't doing anything. <laughs> and, and Norman Powell, I think that, like, I like him a lot. And, and uh, I actually convinced Jimmy Berger that he scored 50, 60 points, I think, one time. But that's a different podcast episode. But Gary Trent Jr. was – you know, I thought he was a great piece. And I thought it was kind of like a, a lateral move that they made. You know, I, I wasn't – they playing an undersized CJ – Dame, who's not oversized, and then Norman Powell, who's undersized altogether, is not helping defense, and that is what they needed help on. So, it is mind-boggling a little bit. Bro, like,
0: I'm sorry. I understand that the NBA is a business as well, and you got to put butts in the seats, and not every single team can win a championship. I get it, because not every team has LeBron or Kevin Durant. I get it. Steph, too. But I get it. <laughs> but, bro, like, y'all doing Dame dirty. Get him some damn help and blow that shit up. Last but not least we got the one C who no one wants to talk about because quite frankly, I really don't either. The Utah jazz and Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Game one went, uh, it was interesting. Obviously the jazz um, sat down at the Mitchell and that caused a little bit of controversy between him and the training staff and his personal training staff. So I'm interested to see how he looks tonight. Uh, This is Wednesday. So we'll get to see this podcast will be released Friday. So I'm interested to see how he looks, but um, the jazz are, they play one style of ball, I think. It's that driving, kick, space, and play type of deal. Um, it's either a shot at the the rim or a three. And the, the only guy on that team who really resembles an in-between game is kind of D-Mitch. And if he's not healthy, I'm not predicting an upset by any means because I don't think Memphis has the firepower to do it consistently day in and day out. But I don't think the series will be as big as, as much of a cakewalk as other people were led to believe based off how the Grizzlies snuck into the to the playoffs. I think Rudy Gobert is the definition of an 82 game player. And I think that Draymond Green talked about this one time. There's 16 game players and then there's 82 game players where guys throughout the year look really good, right? He can anchor a defense, you know, um, whatever day in and day out, Rudy Gobert is, is the best at what he, do at, at, he does at his job. That's anchoring a damn defense. He's going to win defensive player of the year again because of that. However, when it comes to the 16 games and how different the playoffs play compared to the regular season. I don't know if that shit translates. Actually, I don't know. I do know that shit doesn't translate. You need guys who can stay in front of somebody, and then you need a guy who can give me a bucket on all three levels, which we talked about last year at, uh, at length uh, on air, about just how we how much the playoffs are about three-level scores. If D-Mitch isn't doing that for you, I don't know who else on the Jazz can, and I think that's interesting um, going forward because I know they'll play
1: the winner of uh, – Who's at four or five Clippers Mavericks, right? They'll play the Clipper. And I'm telling you,
0: I don't know if they want to see that boy Luca. I don't know if they want to just because I, I think it's, I'm going to say easy, but that style of brand where you either taking a shot at the rim or a, a deep three is not effective because in the postseason, everyone knows your, your fastball, everyone's going to take it away. So everyone's going to run you off the line. And you're not going to get easy shots at the rim. What the hell is their curveball? What's their slider? I don't know if they have one. So I'm interested to see how they work. This is really not a a Grizzlies thing because I don't know if this thing goes past five or six, but I'm interested to see what they look like next round and and thereafter that.
1: This is probably the most boring of series. You know, you always have those. And, uh, but I don't know. I I think the Grizzlies are a fun team to get behind. You have young talent, Jaron Jackson, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, and then you have, the greatest slowest player of all time and Kyle Anderson on the team. slow mo it's if if you've never seen Kyle Anderson play basketball to anyone who listens to this just just do yourself a favor and watch one highlight video one game even because he'll do something so slow where you're just like there's no chance this guy is producing anything in an NBA game but he just you know he to his credit he plays at his own pace and he's phenomenal at what he does but I just think the Grizzlies are a fun team to watch I do think the Jazz are better and gonna eventually win this series um I, I mean I just think they're the better team and I think in the playoffs usually the better teams win uh but like CJ said I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't a cakewalk or even you know a five to six game series where every game is grinded out but yeah. it'll be interesting um do we want to give away our predictions? Do we want to give away I think
0: I think, the, I think we need to. I think I'm I'm willing to go on my
1: sword right here. Yeah. You can it well, yeah. off. All right. So since I kind of gave away my my picks already, I'm going Sixers out of the East. And Lakers out of the West. Very, you know, kind of predictable out of the West. The Lakers, everyone's gonna take them because they're the Lakers and LeBron. And that's the only reason I'm taking them. It's this Tom Brady effect of the NBA. You don't bet against LeBron. Um, Sixers, I said enough about them already. I just, you know, I like the way they're built. I like the way they match up against other East teams. Um, I wouldn't be – I would actually be happier if I was wrong and the Nets made it out because I'd love to see that matchup between them and hopefully the Lakers or whoever comes out. But I guess Lakers, Sixers. Got you. Uh,
0: start with the West just because I think that's kind of a, a foregone conclusion. I thought the Suns were the second-best team in the West all year. Uh, I really did. And when I saw that they drew the Lakers first round, I was crushed because I'm like, damn, we're getting in the Western Conference Finals matchup in the first round. And obviously with without CP, it's gonna it's gonna be rough sliding, rough sledding for uh for the Suns. So I think the Lakers, even with LeBron at a 70 75% that he is right now, I think they can find a way to get out of the West, especially with the Nuggets or Blazers looking ahead of them in the next round. And then I don't think the Jazz nor uh Mavs or Clippers can rock with them at this point but out of the east I think I'm going chalk and I think I'm gonna go with the Nets solely for the simple fact that we've talked about this a lot I really like the Sixers roster a lot I really do I think if there's just a team that matches up on paper with them it's them just because their length and how a lot of their guys on, on their roster buy in on the defensive end of the floor it's opposite of the Blazers we're like yo like I believe wholeheartedly those dudes hang their hat on what they do on that end of the floor. I don't think they have a liability on defense, even though Seth Curry is a little smaller. I've seen him, you know, get in somebody's uh, shit and be willing to take a guard somebody one-on-one. But I just, I've never seen anything resembling what the hell Kyrie, KD, and Harden have. And I believe as long as Kyrie's willing to, I guess, play off ball a little bit and just let James run the show, uh, I think that, I don't know how the fuck you stop them like I, I I don't know and I know that they don't play a lick of defense but I do think that they can get timely stops and I guess that kind of matters for them because um, putting up they're gonna put up 115 120 every game but can you match that every every day and I think that's the only thing that concerns me about Philly because I don't know what I'm getting out of Ben Simmons
1: absolutely no I think that you know I agree with him like I said I'm hope I'm wrong and I hope you're right so we can see that matchup, but Actually, you know, no, I hope
0: I'm wrong because I want to see LeBron get another ring, and I think he got a better chance to be than he do against
1: the You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. But that's all I got on uh, on the playoffs so far.
0: Yeah, that's all I got too. Um, we have a, a hell of a guest on, uh, Fatu Melafamu, a.k.a. Ify. Um, we went to Syracuse together, as you guys will hear during the pod. Um, so you'll be hearing, him, hearing from him shortly after this commercial break. Joining here with Ifatu Melafanwu, third-round pick of the Detroit Lions in this past year's NFL draft. Uh, he was a teammate of mine at Syracuse for uh, 2017 through, I think, 2019.
1: Good dude. Glad to have him on. What's up, Ify?
2: What's good, man? Thank you for having me.
1: No problem. Ify, no problem. appreciate you coming on. Coming on. Um, just going to jump right into it. Uh, for the listeners, he's sitting in a, ho- in a hotel room right now. He's been there for quite a while, so... Just tell us what's going on with you. What's life been like post draft, and, and kind of like what's going on, what, you, what you're up to.
2: Um, yeah, I mean,
1: life's been good
2: post draft. I got to Detroit May 12th, so I've been in a hotel since. Um, you know, I had rookie mini camp that weekend. I got here for three days, and then we got into just like phase two, which was really just like, really just like indie individual and working out, and then we just started OTAs. On Tuesday, I mean, so so it's been good so far. and just trying to learn and, um, you know, introduce myself to everyone in the building and get familiar with all the faces and stuff.
1: I know it's has been probably pretty quick and everything's probably moving pretty fast, but, like, have you been able to kind of, like, sit down and re- realize, like, man, like, I'm in the NFL. Like, I got drafted. Like, this is, this is yeah, real
2: life. Actually, there was actually, like, two moments I had. It was, like, last week on... I want to say, like, Thursday. Yeah, it was, like, last week, Thursday, I was the last one to leave the facility. I was in the in the training room where I was rolling out. um,
1: And on the wall,
2: like, where I was rolling out, I was facing the wall, and on the top it said Detroit Lions. So, like, that was one of those moments I was like, damn, like, I'm really in the NFL. I'm a part of Detroit Lions. And then even the next morning, we got to sleep in. But I think I, we got to sleep in a little but I think I woke up a little early because I was just so used to the schedule. And then I kind of just laid down and I was like, damn, like this is really a dream come true. So those are the two moments I've, I've had so far.
0: Boy, he made it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, like uh, Ify, uh, a good friend of mine, we talk all the time and, and obviously uh, very proud of him and, and all the goals that he set forth and he's been confident got him, but he gotta, he's, I'm sure he has a lot more that he can't wait to um, knock down and, and tackle. But um let's take it back a couple of months. The the season didn't go the way that you liked it to go this past year, obviously. Um the team wise only uh had a rough year uh with the team. So what was your mindset coming out of the uh the season and then draft prep? Like what things were you looking to focus on and get better at before you um
2: before uh April's draft? Um uh, well well coming out like I didn't I didn't really have my decision made right away. Um it was one of those things like after the last game, I still had to talk to, you know, my family, talk to different agency, what they're thinking, submit my name to the um, NFL like advisory board to get a, get a grade back. Um, so I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't have it set in my mind that I was declaring. But after those talks and meeting with agents, I kind of, you know, um, and, and on top of that, I graduated. So I came to that decision. Um, and then just during the draft process, I was just trying to, you know, I was just trying to get my 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 forty and stuff right, like get my testing right. Uh, but along with that, I was really trying to focus on my pad level, um, you know, just pad level and just change the direction and um, and just trust my back pedal more.
0: Gotcha. Now I asked Cisco the same question we had on uh, two weeks prior to this, Andre Cisco. For those at home who's listening, uh, what was draft day like or the draft weekend like? Uh... Was it nerve wracking? Cause obviously we'll talk about later. You had a brother who went through the process as well. So you kind of had like a um, a glance into what the day would be like. Just walk us through that uh that weekend and what
2: was it like for you and your family? Um I mean, it was overall obviously it was a good experience and it was just a be it's uh, just a blessing to be, you know, drafted and drafted by Detroit Lions. Um I feel like it was just kind of stressful, you know, just trying to set everything up and then family came, over. I didn't have too much family, but, you know, family came over, and um, even though, even though I was really, like, project, projected, like, second round, um, you know, you still watch that first day with hopes of getting called, and stuff like that, even though, you know, most likely that's probably not gonna happen, um, so, so that first day went by, and I, I mean, I, w- I wasn't really, like, you know, upset about it or anything because I knew that wasn't really like my projection too much. Um, but, you know, I just kind of went to the next day, like, you know, um, really thinking I was going to get drafted. And, and obviously that's what happened. I wasn't really expecting the Detroit Lions, but, you know, it's just a blessing in disguise because Coach Pleasant, the DB coach here, like he, I had the best meeting with him out of all the, um, all, the, all the position coaches I had with just different teams. And I even, after... I had my meeting with him, I even called Cisco, I called Trill, I called my brother, and I was like, that was the best meeting I've ever had. So um, I guess it's just a blessing in disguise.
1: Absolutely. So kind of talking about Dre a little bit, we asked him a similar question. Um, but what was that, that draft process like prior to the draft? Like, do you have like a pro day? Do you have, you know, you talked about all these meetings, you know, was it pretty hectic for you? Um, I know it's a little different with the COVID year than going out to Indianapolis to the combine and stuff like that. But, you know, for, for guys like me and, you know, CJ not being involved and hands on with everything, what was that like, uh, you know, leading up a couple of weeks, couple of months prior to the draft?
2: So Leading up to the draft, I mean, this year with the COVID, it was probably, you know, easier, uh, simpler than times before because I wouldn't have to fly out and have workouts and have meetings in person. I feel like it was kind of stressful. The most stressful part of it was just, you know, we had we had a very like set schedule for, for training and stuff that we would get like Sunday night and it would do it the whole week. Um and it was just really scheduling meetings around that because you know, going into the week Sunday night, you're thinking, okay, I don't have any meetings today. Maybe maybe even Monday morning you're thinking I don't have any meetings. Then like noon, you'll get a text from a coach like, can we set up a meeting? Maybe two o'clock. You'll get another one, and then throughout the week, so you could end the, the week with like six meetings, um, and start the week with zero. So that was probably the most the most stressful part. Um, other than that, I really just try to um, not take it for granted and soak it in, um, and make friends with the the dudes I was training with in Tampa. Um, so it was stressful, but it was still a good experience.
1: Absolutely. You don't need to get too in depth, but like for those meetings, are they breaking down game film from you? Are they, you know, giving you feedback after just, are they just asking you questions? You know, for those meetings, how do, how do those go?
2: Yeah, it, it depends. Um, there's different types of meetings. So there's meetings, there's meetings with just the scouts, and those, the scouts will ask, ask you like background, like where you grew up, um, high school, did you play any sports in high school, different like background stuff like that. Position meetings might be the same thing, but they'll, you know, they'll give you an install, um, rules on the coverage and then have you repeat it back to them or have you watch film and tell you what each position is doing. Um, and then, and then sometimes they just, they watch your film and have you talk about it, your technique, what coverage, and then they'll coach you up on it. So it was like kind of two, two different types of meetings you could have. That's
1: pretty crazy. That's a lot of information. That's like, a, like, I'm still in school and I know Cedar just graduated, but that's like school for me and I'm, I just didn't do well in school. So it's a lot. <laughs>
2: that's definitely a lot.
1: Hey, so let's take this back to Syracuse,
0: the good old days. So you, you had a, a hell of a career at Syracuse, uh, 19 uh, PBUs, three picks, five TFLs. Uh, yo, you, you were all ACC this past year. Just like talk about some of like the highs that you had, and some of the things that you you will miss most about uh, playing at Syracuse.
2: Um, some of the highs, even though I was a redshirt, definitely, um, definitely when we beat Clemson, twenty seventeen. Um, another high definitely was twenty eighteen, like my breakout game versus UNC. Um, and then another one was definitely. Uh, Well, two more was definitely the bowl game in 2018, just winning that. Um, And I feel like just this last season, this last season versus Clemson, I had a really good game. So, um, and that was a big stage. So that's, those are like what stands out to me. What I'm going to miss is definitely just like my teammates. Um, I feel like I got close with, with a lot of teammates and, um, and some of them grew more like more towards family than just, you know, teammates. So, um you know we had we had a you know how the db room was we was very close and we have still have a db chat like on uh text snapchat instagram so uh that's what i'm gonna miss most about it
0: now we gotta talk about this unc game flan uh we i gotta gotta build the context behind it because it it needs the (laughs) proper gas right so coming into that game Coaching staff was all on if he had whatever uh, health this, health that. I think you had like a lingering, like hamstring. Was that
2: the hamstring? So no, the UN, no the UNC. So coming into that UNC 2018, it was um, the spring game. I had an ankle, I okay. had it an from from the spring 2018. So yeah, so they was kind of on me about that. Then um, you know, just going to season, I wasn't really getting, I wasn't getting any playing time really. I was like. I was really like the fourth rotation, uh, fourth corner in rotation, yeah. uh, and then they made some movements at nickel and stuff, so I became the third in rotation, um, and then yeah, you keep going.
0: And then, so I mean, so obviously we all seen it because the year before his red shirt year, he was spazzing in practice. How many picks you getting in, uh, in uh, training camp?
2: I think it was like six. I had six my freshman year. Damn.
0: Bro led the team in picks, but he wasn't even playing that year because if you know, iffy, iffy, all about his education. So he said. You know, you feel me? I'm red shirt in any way, God damn it. So then long story short, we get to the game and I'm about to gas it, but it was at least four PBUs, but they was all timely as hell though. They they was all like like damn, like there was no way they could have completed the pass there because it would have been six or something like that. <laughs> and then we went to OT, bro, had a hell of a TFL on the back. I think is that the back that just got drafted? Uh oh, I think it was 20 uh Williams, right? Jamonte, hey. yeah. <laughs> Bro, like, bro and Scotty, like, I'm telling you, like, like, obviously we beat UNC, and I think there was ranked at the time. We was getting mad love for that. But, like, the, every highlight that was played that day was from that game. So, like, that's when – obviously everybody in the room, we knew what he was on. But, like, that was when really the coach staff couldn't no longer turn a blind eye to it. They couldn't – like, the whole – at least ACC knew what, t- what time it was when it came to Ippy. yeah. That's – that game, obviously that was three years ago, but that game sticks out in my head
1: above all else. for your for your redshirt year was that your decision or was that like a coaching staff
2: no that was my decision coming in that's I told them that when I got when I got offered when I was getting recruited that I wanted to redshirt
1: what 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 went behind like that process or that that decision
2: uh you know just getting bigger faster stronger learning the playbook um also um like Carl said education in there I wanted the ability to um masters my masters as well I I mean I didn't end up doing that but I wanted to have the ability to do that
1: no that's a that's a great point I think Uh, right yeah funny but uh no that's a great point I don't think a lot of people especially at as a freshman 17 18 19 have that like maturity level to say like maybe this is not the right thing for me to do maybe I can take a year off from football you know still get my body right but not necessarily be at the games be playing in the games but you know, kind of work on my mental a little bit work on my physical abilities but I think that's that just says a lot kind of about you and I'm sure a lot of the scouts and everything in the draft process acknowledge that as well that's pretty cool but um I want to talk a little bit about you know talking about Syracuse you've been around a lot of good DBs Cisco we just had on uh, obviously CJ phenomenal DB that decided not to go to the NFL and take up podcasting which is awesome um <laughs> And your brother, a few others along the way as well. But what influence have, you know, those guys had on you? And you say you still talk to these guys, you know, daily, you know, what what, what about that, that connection has helped you?
2: Uh, I feel like once, once you play the same position and play DB, like, I feel like, like, there's nothing like playing DB and only DBs know how DBs feel. Like, it, it really gets lonely as a DB, like, honestly, like, i would say we probably have on the defense we probably have the easiest the easiest assignment or easiest responsibility but it's the hardest to execute and i would just say like you know other than like other than cornerback, i feel like corner or just db in general is the hardest position to play um so yeah i feel like we all just once you play that position and you're not all in that room together and you know, you all all go through install and practice and together like that, and um, you know, go out to eat and stuff like that. I feel like it just it just forms a bond. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot, a lot from um, all of those guys, and even even when I was coming in talented, I, w- I would still let them teach me, even though they were older than me. I could teach them a few things too. So it's like we just we just bonded really, you know, on the field and off the field.
0: I think one thing that was unique about our room, and I don't want to speak for other DB rooms, but I think we all brought something different to the table and that allowed all of us to flourish in our own separate ways. Like, for example, you you was like a film junkie. Like, that was your thing. Like, you loved, like, obviously the, the uh, training room too, but that was, like, your thing. And when you came in, that put me and Frizz and the other guys, like, oh, all, all right, damn, like, if you're going to be on that, we got to be on the same wavelength type stuff or whatever. Obviously, you had other dudes like uh, Frizz who – you know, it was a lot who was his thing was press. So I'm sure that you and him bounced a lot of ideas off each other when it came to that. And I think that it was just a lot of things that were our room that was just so unique because we were so different in a lot of ways. Like, I know it used to kill me when people used to be like, oh, like Iffy and Frizz similar because they both long. But I'm like, bro, if y'all sat down and like actually watched them play, they really don't like play that similar at all. So it was like, I think it's just extremely like it was raw. I don't know to see like the different vibes and
2: personalities and just talents that we had and seeing how it all came together. Yeah, like to go along with that, I feel like, especially, you know, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, we we had a coach and Coach McCloud that kind of like he recognized we was all different, and and he was one of those coaches that let us all do what we're best at. Um, you know, there's some coaches that only you know want to teach a certain way, just because they they've they you know they've seen they've seen um, that te- that technique be you know, uh, be executed well. So they kind of just harp it on everyone. But Coach McLeod really let, let us play to our strengths. I mean, he knew we was all different. So, you know, the, the press technique I use might not be the same as Carl's. And the way, you know, I, I, I play off man might not be the same as Frizz or or just anyone. He just let us play to our strengths no,
0: my little ass arms can not use uh, press the same way y'all could. No, to, no, no, no. My, my shit, y'all, y'all motherfuckers could press fucking back there. I can't, I can't do that. You know, that's all fact. Right.
1: That's facts. So. No, that's, that's good stuff. And I think a lot of like the normal fan doesn't realize like DB is probably not the hardest position in just football. It's probably the hardest position in all sports. Like thinking about what you have to do uh, on a down to down basis, but like kind of onto that subject. Both of you can answer this. What is, like, that mentality as a DB when you first, you know, before pre-snap, what are you looking for? Are you looking at the quarterback? What read are you in? What's kind of going through your head pre-snap before the play even happens?
2: Uh, So before the play even happens, um, my coach, Coach West, would actually tell me he would call it the full menu. So, you know, first, I'm looking at the down and distance, Um, you know, first and 10, second and three, whatever. I'm looking at the down distance, I'm looking at where they are in the field, are are they in the red zone? Are they in the middle of the field? Are they they backed up in like the black zone? Um, I'm looking at my receiver splits. Well, I'm looking at the formation, right? But I'm looking at my receiver splits and I'm also looking at the other side too. Um, And we would call that, I'm looking at the final formation Uh, as quarterback under centers, quarterback and gun is the back to me, is he away? Uh, so there's, honestly, there's really a lot of things you look at before the play that people don't, um, people like just regular, just regular fans and stuff don't know. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not just okay. This is your receiver lineup on them.
0: No, that's facts though. And like, now that you like, I haven't played for a year, but like, now that you said all that. Like all that, like you really take that in consideration every damn snap, like. First and 10, all right. I know they damn near got the whole menu of the route tree. Like I know, all right, damn. They, they can he can damn near run anything right now. Third, you know, third and eight, third and seven, all right. They're not there's certain routes that he's about to run here that he would not run. It's just certain things that like you have to take into consideration before the balls even snap. I think another thing too, uh, and it was different for me because I wasn't a bigger like guy when it came to length. So I had to focus on this was the body frame, like the type of receiver that was in front of me too. Just because I knew on third and, sh- like, like on first and ten, I feel like I can run with anybody. Like, I think that was one of my best assets is I could run with anybody. So I never was really scared about motherfucker running past me. But the issue is on third down, you're doing, you know, stops, you know, comebacks, you know, curls, all types of shit like that. And that was just my biggest damn issue just because I couldn't stop it, motherfucker because my arms weren't long enough to do that shit. I wasn't physical enough to do that stuff. So I think it was just little stuff like that that you focus on before the play even start that fans don't recognize, like you said.
1: No, that's a ton of stuff. I mean, like I said, this goes back to school. And like for me, I can't process all that. But, you know, another thing, uh, one thing that with DBs that kind of pisses me off, not necessarily pisses me off, but I start to what notice. I know you about to say that. I, I don't know. I mean, you might, but like. I think so, I know yeah. <laughs> so Why I just need you. Why don't you turn around? No, nah, I, 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 nah, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just... <laughs> so when a quarterback doesn't make a good throw, and the, and the receiver, you know, almost catches it or maybe not, and the DB turns around and starts celebrating, starts throwing their hands like, nope, kind of getting to someone's – I don't know what's going on there. But.
2: Right that. so like I said, we have, we have the hardest job, especially like on the defense we have the hardest job. We're going against their best receiver. So I'll take – we'll take any win as a win. It's probably a confidence thing as well, but but more than that, and what the, what the fans don't know, offenses will tell you, quarterbacks will tell you, um, the quarterback and the receiver play off timing. Like, everything has to be on a certain time. So if I, you know, he runs a go, a go ball, like a vert, and I got him off his line, like, you know, because they want to they want to stack you and stay as vertical as possible. But if I got him off his line and now the ball was just, you know, fingertips away and he tipped it. If I didn't get him off his line, he would have caught it. You know what I mean? But it just looks like an overthrow. Or if I didn't hold him up at the line for that split second, he would have just completed it. So it's just, just stuff that the fans don't realize. Like we literally just slowed him off or got him off his line or, you know, slowed the timing down with the with the quarterback.
0: 110% bro. That, that literally verbatim people be like bro he ain't do nothing i'm like bro that's because the camera wasn't following him the whole damn play bro like i'm i promise you that little damn jam he got the line of scrimmage i promise you fucked everything up like or i don't know like bro just little stuff like that really go a long way bro and like you said i think the biggest thing more than anything is a confidence thing too because you on an island out there so any little thing that can get me going and can get me to the next snap bro i need it Uh
1: facts I feel like I'm I'm about to go play some Madden in my career as a DB. I'm about to get into it. (laughs) I feel like now that you said all this stuff, like, uh, I don't know, but it's, it's a ton of stuff. It's pretty amazing to see, you know, kind of the thought process, you know, the mentality you have every single play and what kind of goes into it. And, you know, like you said, we've said is the, the regular fan just thinks, all right, well, my wide receiver, my guy, my running back, whoever is not getting the ball or not getting the first down, that's not it there's there's a lot more that goes into it and i think they like the average fan doesn't really recognize or realize that so it's pretty it's pretty awesome to hear yeah bro like i I think that's one thing the older because i didn't play
0: db growing up i didn't play it till college and i and i thought that was a thing too until i got on that that side of the ball i'm like man hell yeah i'm gonna take (laughs) everyone i get because you don't get targeted as much as
2: you think either bro exactly you really like there's honestly this last season I, I think I had two either two or three games where I did not get targeted. I didn't get a single target. And then there was a couple games uh Wake Force I had two targets. Uh even the Clemson game three targets like you're not you're really not getting a lot of targets as you think like if you get like if you get like six that's a lot of targets like. So you're really not and you have to be on on point every single play. Because you, you literally do not know when the ball is coming to you, so. No, no. Uh,
0: I guess maybe the only time that you might think it, and it's different in the league now because the, the hashes is tighter, is yeah. third and, I don't know, five or whatever, and it's three by one and you on the backside, like, all right. like Single X, yeah. Yeah, like, I feel like I'm getting the ball now. But outside of that, though, you always got to be in your P's and Q's. And I uh, think I didn't realize – now, Flan, I'm going to put you on game to this, and this is where it's, like, really wild, and you don't realize it until you get to college, and it's – even bigger at the NFL with the amount of coaches that they have. They got coaches watching every single position up in the box. So like, you think that like you got away with some slick shit to play before where you got beat really bad? Nah, 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 <laughs> nah, 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 that, that GA in the box like, hey, that that uh, that slant, that um, if he broke on real good, sluggo his ass up next drive because he broke way too clean. So it's like, you really got to be in your P's and Q's every single time because
1: strike up the band if you do it again <laughs> that's awesome but um kind of moving on a little bit just because you know I, I there's a lot of stuff that you know I'm, I'm not a big football mind but no it's a lot of great stuff too and a lot of intelligent intellectual things but what in the NFL are you most looking forward to aside from the obvious answers you know the fame the money whatever it might be but money being in the NFL um, what are you looking forward to
2: honestly uh, I'm looking forward to um, you know being a sponge and getting like coaching coaching as I can get um, I feel like the, the, the misconception is like players in the NFL like don't really like get coached hard or like um, like even even the best players the best players are the, the players that want to get coached um so so that's that's really what I'm looking forward to just getting game from you know the vets. Uh, if it doesn't even have to be my position, but um, just the, the older dudes and you know my coach because I, I this coaching staff is really good. Um, my coach, my DB coach, Coach Pleasant. He was just with the Rams for three years, so he was coaching. You know, he coached a key to He coached Rams, He coached all those dudes. Um, and then Coach Glenn, in the DC, was just with the Saints. So he was just. I think he was either the DC with the Saints or he was the DB coach. So he coached. um Washington, Lattimore and all those dudes there. So
0: Cleveland.
2: So I just wanna you know, just honestly get all, all the coaching I can get from all those dudes. Facts, facts. Uh
0: damn, we getting old, bro, because uh Yeah, I got a for you. Uh we getting old because I remember watching Coach Glenn when he was with the Saints back in the day.
2: Uh I forget which teams. I know he was with the Jets for a while.
0: Jets, okay. I, I knew he played with some, that's wild as hell we getting old. But I got one more question before we finish up on our last segment. Who are you looking forward
2: to playing in the league? Who am I looking forward to? Like, which receivers?
0: Yeah, just, like, what receivers, like, like you've always seen, like, damn, they're good. I can't I, wait to look up I would
2: say, like, any receivers. Like, I, I, obviously, you want to go against the best of the best, and it's almost like a measuring stick, and, you know, you get extra, I guess, extra motivated for those games. But, like, I would really say just, like, the good quarterbacks I want to go against. I've been – I was a Patriots fan growing up, so playing against Tom Brady would, would be definitely be cool.
1: Absolutely. Um, Got to play up against, play against the best to be the best. But um, last question for me, kind of open-ended. What is, you know, your future, the next couple months, weeks? Um, what is that looking like for you, kind of moving into the summer months ahead? Uh, what's my future? What's, like, the, 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 the game plan for the, the Detroit Lions like what do you have got going on in your schedule uh, upcoming
2: um, upcoming schedule um so we have OTAs I think um o- OTAs until about like I know rookies we're done at July 1st um the, I think the the vets are done like two weeks before us and then we have like a two three week break and, and then training camp and then um you know training camp and then right into the season but uh think like in the next couple of weeks, next couple of weeks, um, or maybe next month, uh, and I'll, I'll find an apartment, so I don't have to really stay in this hotel.
0: The oh boy cool on the hotel life. Is uh, <laughs> uh, that room service and shit?
2: <laughs> the, the last day they, they stopped at uh, the room service yesterday. Or no, Monday. Monday night was the last day we could get dinner.
0: You got go to Uber Eats?
2: No, they gave us rentals. Oh, okay, for sure.
0: Oh, damn, that boy. Oh, that's what right. in, in the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we about to do this segment called Rapid Fire. We just throw some questions at you and you just got the first thing that come to mind, all right? All right. Flyn, you ready?
1: Yeah, you want me to go first or you? You got it. If you had one super power, super ability, what would it be?
2: Uh teleport.
0: Uh top three rappers in rotation right now.
2: Thug, uh, Gunna, Drake, um, my favorite.
1: That's two, I'm another one. The Thug, Gunna, and Drake. All right. Uh, who was your role model growing up, or who is your role model still?
2: Uh, my role models, my older brothers. Uh, if you can go anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? London. I got family there. I was supposed to go last summer. Uh, But COVID hit, so I I wasn't able to go.
1: You get one final meal. What is that meal? Mm. One final meal. One final meal, it's
2: got to be some Nigerian food, Um, whatever my mom
1: wants to cook. It (laughs) got to be what? What was that last part? Nigerian food. I got you. All right, favorite uh, NFL
2: player growing up? I, too, Barry Sanders and, and Reggie
0: Bush. Yeah, the Sanders thing always blew, like, threw me off. I had no idea, like, where the hell that came from because he stopped before we played. But, like, you've been consistent with that shit, though, like, since i known you.
2: <laughs> yeah, because uh, I was a running back. Uh, I, you know, I was always a running back growing up. So, yeah, you know, I was just always like Barry Sanders.
1: Uh, if you weren't a football player, what would your career be? Basketball. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh last question for me, I asked everybody. So Sean, you can get you can throw one more in there. So uh you got a dinner, right? And you can pick anybody, dead or alive, to come to this dinner. Is it a Fatu Melafanu dinner? Who are the three people you picking? It can be celebrity, historical, who dead
2: or alive, who are you bring? Um uh, Dead or alive. Um, Michael Jackson, I'll pick Michael Jackson, I'll pick, um, bro, that are a lot. I don't know, maybe Barack Obama, gotta have him in there for the culture. Um, I can't even think, maybe I'll just go, like. I'll go, I'll go Young Thug. I'll put Young ooh,
0: Thug. That's a hell of a <laughs> ooh, that's a hell of a dinner, cuz.
2: <laughs> I'll throw him
0: Obama and Thug gonna be really Jeez. Okay, i fuck, fuck with that. It's
1: a collab in there. Um CJ, I'm deferring my last question to you, but I want the question to be that D B question. Uh it's like Super Bowl contract year. Gotcha. All right, for sure. All right, here we go.
0: I asked my boy for, uh, that played for the Vikings this question, and I got a surprising answer. So it's the NFC Championship. And we – we if he actually didn't talk about this question before, so I'm interested to see if it's changed now that he's actually in the league. It's the NFC Championship. You get three picks, right? Wait, is that how it go? Wait. You get three <laughs> picks in the NFC Championship, but y'all lose that game. Or – PBU, actually, no, but you get burnt for two tuds in the Super Bowl and you get ran over, but y'all win. <laughs> I think I, I'll just go Super Bowl win. Super <laughs> Bowl. Jeez. Okay. You know what the okay. difference is? Okay. Dylan was an undrafted guy. He was trying to get on the roster. That boy was fighting tooth and nail. <laughs> if he, you feel me, if he solidified,
2: you feel me, drafted, he, he, you feel me, he I mean, won the ball. No matter, like, how bad you play, you can't take away that Super Bowl ring, bro. And obviously, like, you did good stuff all season. So, like, you can't take away that Super Bowl ring, bro. Facts. Your
0: head might hurt after, but, yeah, you're
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> you might be wearing different colors next year. <laughs> but you <laughs> be wearing some colors, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're a Super Bowl champ. That's all that matters. Oh, shit. You got anything else, planned? That? No, that's it. If you, I appreciate you coming on. Um, You know, best of luck. Stay healthy. Uh, we'll be paying attention I'll be paying close attention so you know we wish you the best going forward
2: yeah thank you I appreciate
1: that
0: hey once again Brody appreciate you for coming on and uh we'll chop it up
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: so. all right. All right.